Hi, you're listening to the Hopes Podcast. I'm Kat, and I'm a podcaster for Hopes, the Huntington's Outreach Project for Education at Stanford. Hopes is a team of faculty and undergraduate students at Stanford University dedicated to making information about Huntington's disease more readily accessible to the public. We emphasize that we are not medical professionals or legal professionals, nor are we affiliated with the legal professional whom we interview on this podcast. The information we present is intended for educational purposes only and should not be construed as offering diagnoses or recommendations. The legal professional whom we interview is providing ideas about disability insurance that listeners may consider according to their own judgment, but should not consider to be advice specific to their situation. On today's episode, our special guest is disability attorney, Allison Bartlett. Allison speaks with HOPE's co-director, Lauren Hinckley, about the legal side of disability for HD. And she shares a lot of information that could be helpful to you if you or a loved one are thinking about navigating this process. Allison knows a lot more about this than I do, so I'll let her take it away. Hi, my name is Allison Bartlett. I am the manager of disability programs at the Huntington's Disease Society of America. I am a licensed disability attorney who has been practicing for more than five years now, and I've been working within the HD community for that time. I am a consultant, and I serve in my role to grow the disability program at HDSA, which did not exist before I started. Um, but I'm using it to create resources and educate families and help them go through this process with the hopes that they won't ultimately need an attorney because there just aren't enough attorneys doing disability work and attorneys who understand HD or cognitive conditions, period. But I want to give families the tools so they can advocate for themselves and feel confident in the process. You might be wondering, of all the subjects in law that Allison could have specialized in, why HD? So my grandfather was a doctor and my dad was a biology professor. And so I love science. And so when I learned about HD, I was like, what is this crazy genetic disease that I know nothing about that I now have to know everything about so I can understand it? But I've always been passionate about social justice and human rights. And all of my jobs have been social justice or human rights oriented. Before law school, I served in AmeriCorps and I worked for a community technology empowerment program. So I was working with low-income adults and teaching them how to use computers and things. And so my background trained me to be able to work with people from all backgrounds and walks of life. So that made it a lot easier to work with the community because even though I didn't know exactly what they were going through, I could never know what the HD community is going through personally because it's not in my family. I could feel their pain and I could understand just how scared and alone these people felt. And I was like, well, I'm here to help you through this process. You don't have to do this alone. So what I've noticed working with the HD community, like you either get burned out after six months or you're in it for life. I love this community and it's a very unique community because of the nature of HD, how it works and the interesting legal complexities that go around with it. And so I know so much about HD right now is hoping for a cure, looking to the future. But my role is like, no, I care about you today. I want to make sure you have everything you need today and you have the resources to take care of yourself tomorrow. And a lot of the HD community, like I say, they're at risk for falling into all of the weird gaps we have in our legal system. That's why increasing the number of attorneys who specialize in HD is so important. Getting the information out there is hard. We asked Allison to dive into that for us. 
So I consider disability to be a very broad term. If you look it up in like Webster's Dictionary, disability means that you have some condition that interferes with your day-to-day life or your ability to work or a combination of both. Well, so there are actually a lot of things that go into the planning and preparation for that. So you have to be prepared to not work one day, which includes social security disability, private disability through your employer, long-term and short-term disability. It includes legal preparation, which can mean and should mean wills, trusts, estate planning, power of attorney documents, and hopefully no one ever gets there, conservatorship or guardianship because that's when you lose the right to make decisions for yourself. Power of attorney, you've decided who's going to look after you. Conservatorship, the state where you live decides, and that's you don't want to be in that situation. And then it also includes things like health insurance. It includes private long-term care insurance. So you have to look at Medicare, Medicaid, like the health insurance exchange. There are a lot of things that go in to the umbrella of disability. And just, it's a whole lot of stuff. From the website of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Sciences, hhs.gov. Open quote. In all states, Medicaid provides health coverage for some low-income people, families and children, pregnant women, the elderly, and people with disabilities. In some states, the program covers all low-income adults below a certain income level. End quote. You can see if you qualify for Medicaid by visiting your state's Medicaid website or filling out an application in the health insurance marketplace. Also from hhs.gov. Open quote. Generally, Medicare is available for people age 65 or older, younger people with disabilities, and people with end-stage renal disease. End quote. A lot of families, when they come to me, it's because they want to start the social security disability process, or they have questions about when they should stop working. That's a very, very common question. And that answer is different for everybody because it depends on you and your abilities. It depends on your HD and how it's progressing. It depends on your employer and the comfort with your employer and if they're willing to offer you accommodations. Like if you trust them and they know your HD status and they're willing to work with you, great, you'll be able to work longer. If you have disability benefits through your employer, you will lose those if you get fired. So in that situation, I'd be like, hey, this is a tough choice but I'd rather make sure you get these financial benefits that you paid for and you were owed instead of having somebody who's kind of a jerk of an employer potentially take that away from you. I always talk with the families and ask, what do you want to get it out of this? Where are you in this process? What is the right next step for you? And then I kind of help them make a one to five step plan. First, If they're ready to stop working, looking to make sure if they have short-term or long-term disability through their employer, because they're going to need to use that program and start that, because you can actually get short-term and long-term disability privately while you apply for Social Security Disability. You can get all of those benefits at the same time. So if you have access to that, always do that first. If it's somebody who has a really good relationship with their employer and they're comfortable asking for accommodations, then we kind of work through what it looks like to ask for accommodations How do you go through that process? When you stop working, you need to stop working when you can no longer perform the substantial tasks of your job. And so now I tell everyone, if you're not exactly sure what your job tasks are anymore because you've been doing it for such a long time, pull your employment record, get a like your job description and kind of go through line by line and figure out, can I do this? 
yes, I can do this. Oh, I need help doing this. Or what change can I make? And then you're prepared for what accommodations you need and what you can ask for. Because legally, you do have the right to ask for them. It's given to you under the Americans with Disability Act. The issue with that is it says the employer has to offer a reasonable accommodation. Well, the act does not define reasonable. No legal court has defined reasonable in the United States. So reasonable is dependent on your employer. And that can be hard. In a legal sense, disability is an umbrella term. We asked Allison to break down the main categories that would be of interest to an HD patient. So short-term disability is generally offered just through your employer. It's not cost-effective to get it privately. And so what it does is that usually covers up to 12 weeks of leave. On average, it covers about six. And depending on your private policy, I can't speak for all of them because they're all different. It usually covers somewhere between 60 to 80% of your income. And if you have short-term disability through your employer, you always have to take that first. And you need to pay into it. Most companies make you like you have to opt into it. I don't care if you don't have HD. You better be opting into short-term disability, whoever you are, because it's not expensive and you never know what's going to happen in life. And then long-term disability can cover you anywhere from two, five, or the rest of your life. That, again, is dependent on the policy and the policy your company has. Some companies, what they do is they make you pay for your own short-term disability, but they cover long-term disability. Some companies make you pay for both. It's definitely a benefit to look into and that you should get, because again, it's not super expensive, especially if you're younger. And it's always better to have it because you just never know what's going to happen in life. And again, it's much easier to use those policies. And usually it's pretty straightforward. Social security disability, on the other hand, can take two and a half years to get approved. And you don't want to have to go without income that whole time because, again, if you get your short-term and long-term disability, you can have those while you're applying for Social Security. Long-term disability is something you can get privately outside of work. And there is a benefit to that because if you get your own private policy through a private insurer, that follows you throughout your life. It's not dependent on your job. So if you get long-term disability through your job and you get a new job, that's going to change your policy and what you have access to. So those are private policies. Social Security Disability is a federal government program. Social Security Disability is the same program as Social Security Retirement. So it's Social Security Disability, Retirement, and Death Benefits. Those are all grouped and lumped into the same thing. So if you have a W-2 and you have money taken out every paycheck for Social Security, you're paying into both Social Security Disability and the Retirement Program. There are two social security programs. There's social security disability insurance or SSDI. This is the work-based credit program. So when you're working and making money and paying into social security, that's the program you're paying into. That is the better benefit program. That's the program where if you have been working and you have to stop because of HD, you apply for SSDI. The other program is supplemental security income. This is a financial need-based program. This is for individuals who haven't worked in a long time. Maybe they never worked. It's a safety measure, but you have it has really strict financial criteria. As an individual, you have to have less than $2,000 in resources, which is like your checking account, your savings account, if you own more than one car, any property you own in addition to your house, burial money you have set aside for a burial over $1,500, life insurance policies over $1,500. So essentially, you have to have like nothing. And for married couples, it's only $3,000 in resources, which is 
a really difficult burden for married couples to meet. Those are the federal benefit programs. If you're an American citizen, you're eligible for those programs. If you're a legal resident or alien and you have a green card, you are eligible for those programs. Social security disability, you can technically even receive outside of the United States if you live in certain countries. Like there's certain no-no countries you can't live in. Like you're not allowed to live in like Iran and get your social security disability benefit because then they're like, well, I don't know if we trust this person anymore. They could be defecting. Um, but it's the better benefit program because you could technically retire and live anywhere after you've been approved for social security disability. Uh, the amount you will get in SSDI is dependent on your personal work history. So it's different for everyone. Let's say you're 45 and you've been working since you were 20. If you stop working at 45, you should have about five years until your credits expire. Your credits do expire. If you do not apply for social security disability insurance in a timely fashion, you will lose the ability to do so. Do not wait to apply for social security disability. There is no reason to wait. There is no waiting period. Some people think you have to wait a year. No, Huntington's disease isn't going anywhere. It's not going away. The standard is you have to have your condition for a year or it will last for a year or longer. There is no cure to HD. So your condition is 100% gonna last for more than 12 months. So that is not a burden you have to worry about. Now, what about private long-term disability? So if you're gonna look into a private long-term disability, what you definitely wanna look into is how long it's gonna last. If you have HD, you don't just wanna get a two-year policy. You wanna look into getting a policy that's gonna last the rest of your life. So you can have that additional benefit or they don't always last the rest of your life. They might just last until retirement age, but still you want to make sure it's going to be a long-term benefit. Uh, you have to have this benefit in place before you start showing any symptoms because as soon as you become symptomatic with HD, you're not going to get any kind of private insurance. And again, symptomatic is not the same as gene positive. Like it's arguably, it's still better to have everything in place before you get a diagnosis. Fun fact you don't have to have a genetic diagnosis to get approved for social security disability or to have any kind of disability approved because that's not the standard. If you have Huntington's disease, you've had the gene since the day you were born. Everybody cares about your symptoms, your limitations, and how they impact you and your ability to work. And then looking at like, depending on the kind of long-term disability you're getting or where you're getting it from, if it can move with you. Like, is this a policy that is just through your current employer, or is this going to be a policy you're getting separately outside of it that you're going to have forever? And so those are the big things to look for. How long the policy is going to last, look at cost, make sure you get this policy before you ever become symptomatic, and then look to see if it's just through your employer or if this is going to follow you the rest of your life wherever you go. So what I've been talking about in the standards, I've been talking about are for long-term disability insurance. And long-term disability and social security are meant to replace any work earnings that you can no longer get because you're not able to work due to your HD. A third kind of insurance is long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance helps you cover the cost of nursing home care or assisted living once you need that level of care. Those insurance companies, they're very... They hate paying out their insurance, and so they don't like giving it. If you're young and you're, you have no H, 
no known HD in your family, they're still going to give you a hard time because you're young. And they're like, why are you trying to get this now? Like, why could you possibly need this? But yeah, long-term care insurance is pretty much impossible to get at this point if you have HD in your family. Because they don't just ask, do you have HD? They ask if you have a family history of HD. And if you have a family history of HD, you're precluded from getting any kind of insurance. One caveat to that is the state of Florida actually just passed in July of 2020 stricter GINA regulations. And so now insurance companies can no longer ask for uh, your genetic history. From the website of the National Human Genome Research Institute, genome.gov. Open quote. The Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, GINA, of 2008, protects Americans from discrimination based on their genetic information in both health insurance and employment. End quote. We'll see how that goes and we'll see how that plays out in Florida. But really, one of the goals that we should have is to make sure every state enacts a law like that. Because it's definitely HD families who are disproportionately impacted by a lot of this genetic discrimination. So let's say you're someone who decides they don't want to get tested for their HD, but they want to make sure they have, like, they want to cover their bases. So even if you decide you never want to get tested for HD, it's better to put these things in place so you have them. Because these disability programs are not something you can get once you need them. Social security disability is, like, technically the exception. You don't sign up for that program. You just work for a job that pays into social security. And if you have to stop working one day, you apply for it as soon as possible. With a short-term and long-term disability, a lot of private disability providers, if you actually read the policy, what it'll say is you will have to have had the policy at least a year before you received like a clinical diagnosis. So again, with HD, it's very important to make the distinction between a positive gene test and a clinical diagnosis. Positive gene test just says you have the gene. It doesn't give you any indication to when you're going to start being symptomatic or when it's going to impact your ability to work. Clinical diagnosis usually means you've started to have symptoms at that point, and it could be impacting some part of your life. So let's say you sign up for Social Security Disability today, uh, February 19th, 2021. Allison misspoke here. She meant to say long-term care insurance, not Social Security Disability insurance. And you don't become symptomatic for five years. You should have no issues using the policy. But let's say you sign up for the policy today, and you were clinically diagnosed and starting having symptoms with HD a year ago. They may not pay out the policy. So knowing all of this, when would someone have to get this process going? It's different for every person. But when it really starts to become important is when you start noticing little changes. And when you start to become at least a little bit symptomatic. Because a little bit symptomatic doesn't mean it's having a huge impact on your ability to work or day-to-day life. But that's when you need to start putting things in place, because if you don't do them as soon as possible, you may miss the ability to do so. So it's important to get medical care. Yes, there's always this debate. A lot of people with HD are like, why do I need to get medical care? There's no cure. There's a big reason to get medical care, because it can help. It can help delay symptom progression. It means everything's being tracked. It means you know how to better manage your symptoms and you know how to prepare for the future. And it means you have a care team on your side that's going to help you through this because you don't want to go through this alone. Really, to start the process, that's when you really want to think about writing a will, doing estate planning, and setting up power of attorney. So a lot of people hate the idea of creating a power of attorney because they assume it means they're giving their rights away as soon as they sign that document. 
no, 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 no. There are four different kinds of power of attorney documents. If you have HD, you should 100% get a durable power of attorney because it doesn't ever need to be refreshed later in life. Also, you can literally put a sentence in there that says, this document does not become effective until I am found incapacitated by, and you could put your neurologist in it. You could put a specific doctor who has to be like, okay, today we're going to look into this. It might be time for we for us to put this power of attorney in place. But it also means you have complete control of who gets to make your medical decisions, your financial decisions, your legal decisions. You have say. What happens a lot in the HD community is if you don't have a power of attorney in place, you have to have a certain cognitive standard to be able to sign that document. And what happens in the HD community is you go past like, so there's the line where you can sign a power of attorney then you lose even more cognitive ability. Well, you have to lose even more cognitive ability than that to be found incapacitated by a state for guardianship or conservatorship. In between the power of attorney point and the guardianship and conservatorship point is where a lot of HD individuals can find themselves homeless or in really terrible situations because they no longer have the capacity to make decisions for themselves. They can no longer appoint someone to act as their guardian, but the state can't legally appoint anyone to act as their guardian. And I don't want anyone to end up in that situation. And when that happens too, a lot of those individuals have lost their ability to apply for short-term or long-term disability because they were fired. They often lose their ability to apply for SSDI because they're not getting medical care and they wait too long because they're just not able to apply for those programs. And so then they're only left with SSI. SSI, the max benefit you get is only $790 per month. It changes every year. So I apologize. I can't remember exactly what it is. As of 2021, SSI is $794 a month for an individual. And then the max SSDI benefit is $3,000. That's a huge difference. And so I don't want people to have to take SSI because something wasn't put in place when it needed to be put in place. And I don't like to think about, this is not like end of life planning. Do not think about it that way. It's what is my stuff? Who do I want to take care of my stuff? Who do I want to take care of me? And how do I want all these things to go? Like one thing I like, especially when I'm talking to younger individuals, not that I'm old, I'm a whopping 33. Um, But one, like a lot of us have dogs and I'm like, well, what happened if you like died in a car accident tomorrow? Who's going to take care of your dog? Don't you love your dog very much? Don't you want to make sure they go to the right person? Like it's that kind of mentality. It's not that you're planning for your death. It's planning for everything to be taken care of. And so once you get to the point you can't manage your own affairs, you know, somebody's doing a good job and it's somebody you trust and you love and you feel confident in that process. So it's not something you have to worry about anymore. And it can also put a huge burden on loved ones if these things are not put in place, because then usually it means they're trying to figure out how to pay for nursing home care or other expensive things. Care for HD is very expensive because of how long care is needed. Like in the ALS community, usually once you're diagnosed with ALS, like max lifespan is around five years. In the HD community, it's much longer. And so it's kind of common knowledge that HD can take away wealth from a family unless proper planning is put in place because it's so expensive to care for an HD individual. And I don't want that either. Like I don't want Medicaid to come take your house. So what can we put in place? So like, what can you guys do now to make sure that doesn't happen? (music) 
Throughout this process, HD patients and their families are going to have to be filling out a lot of forms and meeting with a lot of people who have the power to make decisions about what benefits they can receive. We asked Allison how HD patients and their families can best advocate for themselves. So one big part of advocating for yourself is not being afraid to ask questions, because this process is really, really overwhelming, and it can be hard to take the first step. And so that's why we have centers of excellence, that's why we have social workers, and that's why we have me. So you can be like, hey, what is the right next step? But I, another thing I like to say is that this disability process, especially social security disability, is like a really complicated game of monopoly that social security only has the rules to. I figured out the rules and I will tell you how to play the game to give you the best chance of winning. I want you to pass go. I want you to collect $200. It's not impossible. We can do this. You also have to be very honest about your symptoms and limitations, which can be difficult with HD because of lack of awareness. And so it's really important to have a good care team, family, friends that you can rely on. Having a good medical team is really, really important. As unfortunately we all know, because HD is so rare, not every neurologist knows enough about HD. And so you need to push for them to be like, hey, HDSA has resources if you need some help or has some questions. Like there's a lot of places that have resources here, you should take them. And that goes for you too. That goes for social security disability. You paid into that program. It's not a handout. You worked for it. You paid into it. It's yours. You earned it. So one thing I always like to tell people to do to help advocate for themselves is start writing down your symptoms and limitations, keeping a journal, keep track of important conversations you've had, who your care team is, what your medications are. And again, it's so important to have other people around you because with HD, the progression can be so slow. You don't necessarily know when your normal has changed. Your every day is your normal. And sometimes you need an outsider to help you figure out when things have changed, when things are different, or when you need to ask for help. Don't be afraid to tell somebody what HD is. That's something the community faces a lot. Do not assume Social Security knows what Huntington's disease is. 95% of the time it doesn't. So not only when you apply, you have to prove that you're disabled, you also have to tell them what HD is. So don't be afraid to educate someone. Don't be afraid to tell someone that they're wrong. This is your life. You have control of it. You were in the driver's seat. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. And again, HDSA has a lot of resources. The HOPES program has a lot of resources. There is a lot of information out there and people who want to help the community and want to help you get through this process. So a huge part of advocating for yourself is knowing when to ask for help. And there's a lot of us who want to help you. We asked Allison how she suggested someone begin to think about navigating disability and preparing for the future. So first step, again, it, it does depend on where someone is in the situation. If they're like kind of at the fact-finding stage and they want to know what they need to do best to prepare, honestly, it sounds weird, but an elder care attorney is a really good person to reach out to because they're the people who deal with wills, trusts, and estates. A lot of times they know state Medicaid rules. They can help you figure out from a legal perspective what you need to put in place to protect you and your assets, and your family. If we're talking first steps because you're ready to apply for disability, first steps is kind of taking a step back. Are you ready to stop working? Are your symptoms interfering with your ability to work enough that you would be okay with stopping work because it would help make your life better? Maybe it would make your symptoms better. If that's the case, then you need to figure out like what your options are through work, through short-term disability, long-term disability accommodations, 
you also need to start gathering evidence, especially for a social security disability claim. I tell everyone that they need medical evidence, which in this day and age with online patient portals, it's really easy to get your records, sometimes too easy. If you've started having issues at work, like you've gotten written up or you've had a bad performance review, those are kind of things you want to submit to social security disability because it shows like, hey, here's clear evidence from my past employer why I was having trouble working. And then I always recommend getting letters from friends and family because medical records only tell one half of your story. They talk about your symptoms and limitations, but your doctors don't see you on a day-to-day basis. So they can't really mention difficulties with your activities of daily living or difficulties you have at work. Friends, family members, and coworkers can include those things. And so usually they mention symptoms that also show up in your medical records, so it tells the full story. You also want to start writing down your own symptoms and limitations so you feel confident talking about it. Because when you apply for disability, it has to be from the perspective of a bad day. If you only talk about what you can do, you're sending the wrong message. This is about what you can't do or what you have trouble doing. It means sometimes that you kind of have to go to a dark place that you may not want to visit. It means having to face harsh truths and realities. But I know when people talk to me, when they reach out to me, it's not because they want me to give them the happy, fuzzy answer. It's because I will tell them what needs to be done, but I will also tell you how to do it. I'm not just going to be like, oh yeah, you're drowning, and then like speed off in my motorboat. I'm like, no, no, let's come on, get my boat. We can do this together. It's going to be okay. It's definitely scary and overwhelming. And most people feel that way. And it is 100% okay to feel that way. But that doesn't mean it should stop you from doing any of these things. So again, first step depends a lot on where you are in this process. But an important first step for anyone. So let's say you're not ready for to apply for disability yet. Definitely looking at the legal process, like talking to an elder care attorney, definitely making sure that you have disability programs that you're eligible for. So let's say your work doesn't offer long-term disability, maybe looking into getting your own policy. Or if you realize you're not paying into short-term or long-term disability, come this benefit period, whether it's in June or November, sign up for those programs. It is very important, though, if you are working with an attorney, to be very clear what is going on in the situation, that the individual has HD and includes some of the information about how that impacts them. Most attorneys have no idea what Huntington's disease is. They don't know that it's a complex diagnosis that's not just a movement disorder. And so you do have to help them and you do have to educate them. This also applies in the criminal justice system. Unfortunately, a lot of individuals with HD get arrested. Do not ever assume that the lawyer, the defense attorney, or the prosecuting attorney, or the judge knows anything about HD. If you do not tell them, they will not know. I had a client years ago who found himself in some legal trouble, and I was like, you need to tell everybody in this process about your HD. And this person was actually very good about that, and that helped when it came to sentencing. And he got a much more lenient sentence than he may have otherwise because of how his HD had impacted the entire situation. And he made sure from the get-go, like, the cops on the scene knew that this was HD-related. Like, the attorney, the judge, everyone involved knew that HD was a component and why this behavior happened. So we've talked about disability. 
how does health insurance come into the mix? So when you stop working, a lot of employers will let you take COBRA, which is expensive because it means you're paying for the whole cost of your health insurance. There's no more subsidy from your employer. From the U.S. Department of Labor website, dol.gov. Open quote. The Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act, COBRA, gives workers and their families who lose their health benefits the right to choose to continue group health benefits provided by their group health plan for limited periods of time under certain circumstances, such as voluntary or involuntary job loss, reduction in the hours worked, transition between jobs, death, divorce, and other life events. Qualified individuals may be required to pay the entire premium for coverage up to 102% of the cost to the plan. End quote. But that's better than nothing because you can at least use COBRA until you get an alternate kind of insurance. It's also incredibly important to mention that with Social Security Disability Insurance, there is a two-year waiting period for Medicare. If you're unhappy about this, please contact your local congressmen and senators for them to do something about this, because we've been pushing the Parity Act for more than 10 years now. From the HDSA website, hdsa.org. Open quote. The HD Parity Act will waive the two-year Medicare waiting period, as well as waive the five-month benefit waiting period for individuals with Huntington's disease, HD, accessing Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI. End quote. ALS has gotten the two-year Medicare waiting period waived, and with SSDI, there's always a five-month waiting period for your financial benefits to start. That has been waived as well. That was just waived this past November. So how come HD wasn't included in that bill? Just throwing that out there. It's important to note because there's a lot of individuals who don't realize they don't have health insurance for their disability for almost two years. And you're going to have to find alternate methods of health insurance at that time because you can't go without care for two years. A clinical trial is definitely a good option because you get care at free or reduced cost. One thing to mention with that, a clinical trial Clinical trial records, if you're only getting a clinical trial and trying to apply for Social Security disability, Social Security cannot access clinical trial records in most cases. Like, the clinical trial is never going to release them. So for their purposes, for Social Security's purposes, it's like you're not getting medical care. If you're not getting medical care, you'll never be approved for Social Security disability. If you're not getting medical care, you're not going to get approved for any kind of disability because you have to have some kind of doctor's note. You have to have evidence. All of these are legal proceedings. If you get arrested for something, for a crime, there still has to be evidence that you committed the crime. This social security disability and the disability process doesn't work any differently. But getting back to health insurance, Medicare and Medicaid are very different. Medicare, which comes with SSDI, does not cover long-term care. But Medicaid, the financial need-based health insurance program, does. If you are on Medicaid, you can get 100% of in-home health care and nursing home care covered. So that is something to consider. A lot of individuals are eligible to get additional assistance. So in most states, like Medicaid requirements are fairly strict. But if you require nursing home care, they raise the limits by a lot. And so again, that's state dependent. Medicaid is state specific, so I can't answer. Like It's not the same across the board. But you want to look into that information. That's another reason to talk to an elder care attorney, elder law attorney, because they know the really crazy specific state Medicaid laws, which are going to benefit you. A lot of individuals with HD end up needing full-time in-home health care or health aids 
or they need nursing home care. That is very, very expensive. If you're able to get long-term care insurance, most long-term care insurance doesn't cover the full cost of the nursing home. You will still be responsible for some out-of-pocket portion. And so it's really important to kind of plan in advance, have that conversation with your family. Are you going to be put in nursing home care? Like, how are you guys going to deal with this? Are they going to try to keep you in the home? If that's the case, then you need to work with a physical and occupational therapist and your insurance to make sure you have safety aids in the home so you can be properly cared for. But these are expenses that are going to happen. If you have HD, these are the kinds of expenses that are going to happen. And so you can't shy away from having these conversations or talking about what you want. Like what you want is very important. So how can we figure out to make those things possible and affordable? And that's one thing that like, you always have the health insurance marketplace to look for health insurance, but it can be difficult. We all know the health insurance marketplace has definitely gotten really expensive. And when you have a condition like Huntington's disease, your insurance gets more and more expensive as you're trying to cover everything. Like if you're on certain medications or if you need, you want to make sure your physical therapy is covered. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so this is another thing to work with your hospital and care team on. Also, let's say you don't have health insurance right now because you can't afford it. Most major hospital systems have some kind of indigent or low income care plan. Work directly with your clinic and ask questions. Do you have some kind of policy or like, do you have a pay as I go? Is there a way I can continue to get care at a reduced cost? How can I work with you guys to make this happen? Again, most major health providers have that most major health systems. So like Kaiser Permanente, the University of California health systems, like the Ohio State health systems, like major health systems usually have some kind of programs. We asked Allison to leave us with her final advice for anyone listening who may be thinking about starting this process. It is never too soon to start the planning process. It is never too soon to start thinking about what you need today or immediately tomorrow. This isn't about what's going to happen 10 years from now. I'm not saying don't keep like a lot of progress has been made scientifically towards getting like legitimate medical options for a cure or treatments. A lot of good things are coming down the pipeline, but there has to be realism in this conversation. And I want everyone to look at what they need today. Look at what they need tomorrow. It's like making a grocery shopping list. You're not making a grocery shopping list for five years from now. You're making it either for later today or later this week. And that's what I want families to focus on because what you need now really does matter. And it's difficult to plan that on your own. This is a difficult process, but that's why there are a lot of resources and people to help. You don't have to do this on your own. And yes, this process can be scary. There's a lot of stuff that that gets involved in this process. Some of it can be pricier than others, depending on what options you want to pursue. But if you start looking at all of these things now or as soon as possible, it gives you more options for the future. And I want you to have options. Just like the medical community wants you to have medical care options, I want you to have disability, legal, and financial options. If you'd like to hear more from Allison, you can. 
I feel I wear a lot of hats. I don't even know anymore. It's hard to, I'm still figuring it out. It's a work in progress. But one thing I do is regularly, like on a daily basis, I have consultations with families, they answer a lot of questions, help people figure out what's the right path for them. I've done a lot to create resources and handouts, which are now on HDSA's website. I have a weekly disability tip that gets posted on Facebook, Instagram, and I think Twitter every week. I have a webinar every other month that talks about specific parts of the legal and disability process. So I've gone over how to gather evidence for a disability claim. I've gone over Social Security's five-step disability process, a lot of information. I have done trainings with social workers across the country to help them better understand the Social Security disability process, because that's not intuitive at all. Like Social Security disability is not an intuitive process, and it's not something that's taught in school. And so a lot of what I do, if it's not talking to you directly, it's creating resources and sharing information so the HD community has simple, easily digestible information so they know where to go and who to turn to if they need more help. You can find Allison's hashtag HD Disability Tips on Twitter at HDSA, and you can register for Allison's Disability Chats on the HDSA website. On behalf of myself, my co-producer Lauren, and the rest of the HOPES team, I'd like to thank Allison for joining us today and sharing her knowledge with the listeners of the HOPES podcast. I'd also like to thank the HOPES Fund for supporting the podcast and Catherine Heaney and the HOPES team for their guidance. Thank you to Lauren Hinckley and Maria Suarez Nieto for providing edits on this podcast. And thank you for listening, whether you're going through the process yourself or with a loved one, or you're interested in the push for better support for HD patients at the policy level. I've been Kat Ferguson, 